0: Welcome to this uvula audio production of X Marks the Spy by Jack Lancer, Volume 6, Chapter 16, Road Hazards. Chris's theory sent a tingle of excitement through the teen agents. Perhaps they'd been closer to Skykill than they had realized. Dangerously close. Anson had already been iced, and Chris had had a hair escape. If the device worked with such terrible effect at long range, the chiller might strike again, when least expected. The boys were thoughtful as they got back into their car and drove out of Brassi. "'Well, one good thing,' mused Geronimo. "'At least we can be pretty sure the Reds don't have Skykill.' "'Not if it was used against two of their own agents,' Chris agreed. "'But why were Valud and Barone rubbed out? Do you think they stumbled onto something last night?' Maybe got too close to the chiller's secret. Chris shrugged as they left the town behind and headed along the road, leading to Madame Avril's Lassay. Could be, but somehow I doubt it. Looks to me as if Falud's big mistake was coming here at all. He was known as a red spy master, and I have a strong hunch the chiller doesn't like snoops. At the lycée, Bice was excused from her morning class long enough to say goodbye to her two friends. The teenagers strolled around the grounds as Chris briefed her.
1: Too bad, Spice needled playfully. I'll bet you hate the whole idea, having to chase way down to the Riviera with all those palm trees and nice white sandy beaches and the girls. Look, these aren't
0: the rites of spring we're heading to at Florida beaches, said Chris. We're going to check out one lead on Skykill and it could be dangerous. Spice's green eyes twinkled.
1: Well, in that case, are you sure you don't need help?
0: Oh, I see. Have a bikini, we'll travel. Chris grinned and shook his head. That would be a great idea if this were a surfing job, but it's not. And you better stay put. For that matter, it might be smart to stay close to the school. After all, you were seen with us last night. Remind
1: me to be more careful about whom I date. Spice dimpled and then became serious. Think you'll need me again on this assignment?
0: We may if is the wrong ex- at least hang around till we find out. We'll get word to you from San tropez if we locate what we're after. Spice exchanged a teen agent grip with each of the boys and waved as they drove off. Not a bad little squall, Geronimo said grudgingly. Yeah, don't tell me they come any greater at the Mescalera Agency. To each his own, Chunde. To each his own. Geronimo gazed out the car window and began humming a plaintive Apache ballad. The boys sped south through the beautiful farming country of the Saone Valley. By 12.30 they were lunching in the great textile city of Lyon. From there they followed the wide concrete ribbon of Route Nationale 7 down the Rhone Valley. The sun grew hotter and brighter. Silvery olive groves and windbreaks of tall graceful cypress trees appeared along the way. From Avignon, the ancient city of the Popes with its beautiful 12th-century bridge, the route veered east through Provence, and at last they reached the sea at Fréjoux. Here they turned down the coastal highway toward Saint-Tropez. The sky was a brilliant blue and the air full of flowery scents. The road skirted a rocky massif topped by forests of Aleppo pine, chestnut, and cork oak. Much of the time they were in sight of the Mediterranean, smooth and clear as a sapphire. Settlements of villas down at the shore. Soon after six o'clock, they rounded the gulf of Saint-Tropez and turned onto the pleasant, wooded peninsula where the resort town was situated. Chris jammed on the brakes as a man darted out onto the road, waving his arms. Must have had a breakdown, Chris said. Off the highway stood a little Triumph convertible, mustard yellow with its hood raised. Chris pulled over behind it. The man who had signaled for help walked up to the driver's side of the Alfa Romeo. He was a short, thin fellow with a straw hat and steel-rimmed glasses, which gave him the mild but businesslike air of a bank clerk or a bookkeeper. Car trouble? Chris inquired. The man's lips twisted into a toothy, rat-like grin. From his coat pocket, he pulled out an odd-shaped device with a tube on one end. Outside, messieurs, he rasped. "'I beg your pardon?' said Chris with a look of polite surprise.
1: "'Out of your car, vite!'
0: The man squeezed the device he was holding, and a thin stream of liquid squirted through the open window, sending up a faint wisp of smoke as it seared a hole in the upholstery on Geronimo's side. "'You saw what just happened. "'I
1: said me, me. "'It can burn holes in your faces as well as leather. "'Move now, quickly!'
0: Chris and Geronimo looked at each other and shrugged. Chris reached out to open the door. His thumb pressed a hidden button. As the door swung open, there was a sudden hiss, and a blunt missile shot out at blinding speed. The missile caught the stranger square in the face, knocking him over like a bowling pin. He sprawled on his back on the roadway, with blood oozing from his nose. Chris leapt out to snatch up the acid weapon, but there was no need for haste. The man had been knocked senseless by the hard wooden projectile. Geronimo hurried around to his partner's side of the car. Chris recovered the missile and loaded it back into its socket. Then they dragged their unconscious foe off the road into the shelter of some trees and dense shrubbery. We could have warned him, but I don't suppose he would have listened, said Chris. Geronimo gave a dry chuckle. That's so true, Chunde. These gun-ho types, you can't tell them anything.
1: Well, let's find out who he is.
0: Chris frisked the man's pockets deftly but learned nothing. Geronimo, meanwhile, searched the Triumph convertible and likewise drew a blank. What'll we do? Chris shrugged. Well, disable his car and leave him, I guess. He broke off as another car came whizzing toward them. The two boys walked hastily toward the Alfa Romeo and pretended to be studying a road map until the car had zoomed past. Chris accompanied his partner back into the woods, fringing the road. Both boys stopped short. The man was gone. He had evidently fled through the underbrush. That way, he left a clear enough trail, Chris exclaimed. The boys had covered only a few yards when Geronimo shouted, There he goes! A figure had just darted from the brush. The man was doubling back to his parked car. Chris and Geronimo sprinted after him. He slammed the convertible's hood, leapt in, and gunned the engine. The Triumph shot forward with a roar, forcing the teenagers to fling themselves aside to keep from being run down. The boys picked themselves up without a word and rushed to the Alfa Romeo. Chris slid behind the wheel, and they took off with a squeal of rubber. In seconds from a standing start, the car had accelerated to 140 miles an hour. Ahead, the Triumph was straining to hold its lead. The driver, instead of following the Gulf Road to Saint Tropez, cut right into the highway that branched across the peninsula. He skirted the hillside village of Gassan, perched among the oak woods, and sped over a steep rise. Chris bore down grimly, nursing every ounce of power from his engine. The chase made him more and more determined to overtake their quarry and wring the truth from him. If they could discover and thwart the unknown enemy's plans, it might spell the difference between success or failure for their mission. Bit by bit they were closing in. Ahead lay a sharp turn in the hill road. The Triumph took it flat out, tires screeching as the convertible's rear end slewed dangerously. The mustard yellow sports car was halfway around the turn when its driver lost control. The car swerved and slid, slewing almost ninety degrees. A front wheel jounced on the shoulder of the road, and the next instant the car went sailing over the embankment. Chapter 17 Mark of the Toad. Toppling end over end, the Triumph hurtled down the rocky hillside. Its driver was thrown out like a rag doll. A moment later, the car crashed to a halt on a spur of rock. Boom! Spilled gasoline exploded. A pillar of fire shot up from the wreck, and the convertible became wrapped in a cocoon of flame. Chris had brought his car to a screeching halt. The boys leapt out and, stared down from the edge of the road. The driver lay twisted and still, far down the slope. At least he's clear of the fire, Chris muttered tensely after a moment. Should we go down after him? Geronimo asked. Chris shook his head. We better get a doctor first. It might be fatal to move him. Besides, we can't risk getting mixed up with the police and held for questioning. The boys returned to their car and sped on. Chris stopped at a roadside restaurant and gas station on the south shore of the peninsula. He called the local police from a phone booth and reported the accident. Then the teenagers headed back for Saint-Tropez. It was not yet seven o'clock when the boys drove into Saint-Tropez. Once a mere fishing village and artist colony, the town had become the most popular resort on the Riviera. Though the season had not yet begun, the harbor was lively with people in gay-colored sunclothes, and boats of all sizes were moored at the quays. Chris parked on the broad quai de Souffrance. Beyond the cafes and shops surrounding the harbor were tall houses of pink, cream, yellow, and lavender. The bronze statue of a French admiral looked out over the water. Stay here and keep your eyes open, Chris told Geronimo. I'll go see about Ravatsky. The Hotel de Palme was only a short way from the waterfront. Like most other hotels in Saint Tropez, it was a modest and formal establishment. Chris inquired at the desk for Rovatsky. Room three eighteen, monsieur. As the blond teen agent turned to go upstairs, the concierge called, Pardon, but you will not find him in his room. I remember now, monsieur Rovatsky went out, oh, about five o'clock, soon after he arrived. He asked me about renting a boat. Well, then perhaps I can find him somewhere around the harbour, said Chris. Oui, you can find most anyone there at this hour. The concierge chuckled amiably. Chris returned to his partner. Geronimo, who had been scanning the harbor through binoculars, listened and gave his pal a crafty look. Maybe it's a lucky break, him not being in. Are you suggesting we case his room? Why not? There's a lot at stake here. Maybe including our necks. Wouldn't hurt to take a peek at the guy's credentials. Chris thought for a moment, then gave a nod. All right, but I doubt if we can sneak past that concierge. That lobby's just too small. Geronimo grinned and shrugged. So, we'll try the windows. At the rear of the hotel was a small garden shaded by palm trees. A short ironwork balcony extended across part of each floor. On each of these balconies, a central door apparently gave access to an inside corridor. It's a cinch. You stay below. And keep watch for Ravotsky," said Geronimo. The pink stucco wall was overgrown with vines. Nimbly, the Apache shinned up the drainpipe with cat-like ease, clutching the woody vine for extra support. On the third floor, he swung over to the balcony. Its latched door gave him only a moment's pause, then he disappeared inside. Chris strolled around to the front of the hotel. Twenty minutes later, Geronimo joined him. Did you find anything? Chris asked. Geronimo held out a small cylinder bearing a signet design on one end and a plunger at the other. This was in Ravatsky's suitcase. The signet design had been incised in such a way that the raised edges were razor sharp. He pressed it against the whitish bark of a palm tree and pushed the plunger. When he pulled the device away, the tree bark bore a deep-cut outline of... A toad. Brown fluid oozed in the cut. Chris gave a whistle. Toads trademark? Right. What they stamp in the foreheads of all their victims. Cute little gimmick, eh? And the brown stuff is deadly venom. A caterpillar had been crawling up the tree trunk. It paused to sample the brownish fluid, and the boy saw the tiny creature suddenly stiffen and then drop limply to the ground. See what I mean? said Geronimo. Chris repressed a shudder. The venom works even better on people from what I hear. Boy, if Ravatsky's a toad agent, I might have been walking right into a trap. Too right. They might have carried you out feet first with a toad stamped on your forehead. Chris rubbed his jaw worriedly. It's still possible Ravotsky's the real ex. He may be hoping to cash in on a private deal with Omega. If you ask me... Geronimo argued. It's ten times more likely that Ravosky is one of the phoniaxes. He was probably just trying to horn in on Omega's deal. Then why come down to Saint-Tropez? Maybe to decoy us into following him. And we bit, Chris nodded thoughtfully. If you're right, the guy in the Triumph may have been hired by Ravosky to nab us. Looks to me as if we'd better clear out and head back to Percy. I guess that's the only way to play safe. We'll have to check out Mouton and Fernac before we decide which way to jump. The air was still and clear with the last moments of daylight as the boys returned to the harbor. Mass of boats moored the quays swayed lazily in the breeze. Beyond the breakwater, the blue gulf stretched away to the opposite coast, and far to the northeast the distant ridges of the Alps were fading into darkness. Geronimo took a last look with his binoculars. Uh Uh-oh, here he comes, the Apache murmured. A lone sailboat was just gliding into the harbor past the breakwater. Its single occupant was standing erect in the cockpit to haul down the sail. Chris took the glasses and focused on him. Sure enough, it was Rovatsky. He was wearing denim pants and a striped fisherman's jersey. Suddenly, Chris's hand tightened on the binoculars. A look of terror had come over Ravatsky's face. He let the sail fall and began to shiver violently. Through the high-powered lenses, Chris could see his lips and cheeks turning blue with cold. Scales of ice were forming on his skin. With a scream that echoed across the harbor, Ravosky toppled headfirst into the water. Chapter 18 A Risky Rendezvous The chiller got him! Chris exclaimed. Ravosky's scream had caught the attention of a fisherman who leapt in to rescue him. Seconds later, a motorboat sped out from Quai-Jean-Gelaise. 2 others followed quickly. Presently, the fisherman surfaced, one hand cupping Ravosky's chin. The victim's face looked purple and his eyes were closed. "Ay," Geronimo muttered. Whoever did it must be somewhere close by. Chris nodded, feeling a chill of apprehension as he gazed around the harbor. The quays were lined with spectators, many of whom had rushed from the surrounding cafes and shops. Any one of them might be the chiller or his agent. Or had the chiller aimed his device from one of the windows overlooking the harbor. He might even be aboard one of the boats. We better blow before he spots us, Chris advised. The boys hastily piled into their car and Chris began threading through the crowded area. At Frejou, they regained Route Nationale 7. It was nearly 11 o'clock when they finally pulled into a dimly lit motel near the great Rhone Valley dam of Donzère-Montraguin. Chris was careful to park out of sight of the highway. The next morning, over croissant and coffee, Geronimo said, We don't have much time left, Tundé. Chris sipped. Today's our last chance to find out anything. We'll have to head for Paris tomorrow and hop a plane for Vienna. Geronimo toyed with his obsidian knife. You realize we may be taking a risk showing up in Brissy again if the chillers got our number. So? That town's not very big. Maybe we'd be smarter not to go barging in there during the daylight hours when we can be easily spotted. Chris frowned thoughtfully. That's a good point, Jerry. If we're gonna contact Frenak and Mouton, we can do it just as well after dark, and maybe a lot more safely. For the rest of the trip, the boys traveled at moderate speed. They ate supper at a country inn and approached Bercy after sunset. Before entering the town, they stopped at Madame Avril's Lassay to see Spice. The mistress told them she was not at the school.
1: Mademoiselle Carter went out half an hour ago, but she left is note for you, Monsieur Cool in case you arrived when she was gone.
0: Chris thanked her and went back to the car with Geronimo. The message, in basic teen code, was dashed off in green ink. Translated it read, X phoned this evening. At least he claimed to be X. Wanted to see you. Urgent. Sounded scared. Since you weren't in town, asked me to meet him instead. Let's hope I'm not making a horrible mistake. Appointment is for seven thirty a hundred paces from road at Roc du diable. Wish you were here, Chris glanced tensely at Geronimo. What do you make of it? The Apache shrugged. Even money would be on the level or it could be a trick
1: from having scouted
0: the area on the afternoon before the count's feet, both boys knew the location of Roc du diable a huge rock formation of the road leading from town to the chateau. Chris's wristwatch showed 742. He twirled the stem and tugged it twice. The boys sat in the car waiting, but Spice's voice did not answer. Chris buzzed again, still without a response. "'I think we'd better go look for her. Pronto,' said Geronimo. "'So do I, but not together. Why not?' No sense scaring off our pigeon if he's the real ex. Remember, Spice said he sounded frightened. Let's drive past Roc du Diable and I'll hop out. You keep going. Where to? The nearest phone booth. This will give us a chance to check on Fernac and Mouton. Try calling both of them Mouton at the chateau and Fernac at the hotel. If he's not registered there, try the other hostelries around Brissy. And what do I say when they come on the line? Nothing, just hang up. If one of them isn't available, we can probably assume he's the one who's meeting Spice. What about you? I'll buzz you as soon as I can find out what's what, Chris promised. If you don't hear from me in half an hour, notify Uncle Phil on the radio and start looking for us. Geronimo nodded. He took the wheel and they drove away from the school toward Brissy. Skirting the edge of town, the red sports car turned onto the road leading to the chateau. Presently... Their headlights picked out a towering mass of granite rock. All around it was a dense stand of pine, oak, and chestnut. Chris had already taken the zipper case from the secret compartment. Inside were five packs of currency. He tucked one into the pocket of his sports coat and returned the case to its hiding place. Then, as Geronimo braked to a halt, he jumped out and slammed the door. Okay, take it away, redskin. Watch yourself, Junde. Chris walked around the clump of rock and made his way into the woods. The moon was out and enough of a glow filtered through the trees to guide him. Nevertheless, the night's stillness and the deep shadows made the atmosphere uncomfortably spooky. It was easy to imagine an enemy lurking in the darkness. Chris started as an owl hooted somewhere in the arcing branches. There was another noise, too. It seemed to be a humming sound coming from somewhere below almost as if it was rising from the forest floor. He stopped, straining his ears, but he now heard nothing. A hundred paces brought him to a small clearing. Chris froze as a light flashed in his face and then went out again. Ah, Monsieur Kuhl, a figure was standing in the clearing. Chris switched on his own flashlight long enough to make out the speaker. It was the servant, Mouton. His face glistened palely in the yellow glow. He seemed startled and nervous. You weren't expecting me? Chris asked in a hard, suspicious voice.
1: non, it is true I wish to see you, but I, I thought your friend, Mademoiselle Carter, was to come. So did I. Hasn't she been here? Mouton shook his head. I've been waiting for the past half hour. Chris felt a pang of alarm. Had something happened to Spice?
0: Then another question occurred to him. How did you know I was your contact? He
1: asked Mouton. By the Omega symbol, of course. What Omega symbol? Marked in crayon, on your car window, the night of the defeat. Mouton's voice became suddenly anxious. You put it there to identify yourself, did you not? After you saw the X on my hand? I assume you thought that way was safer than approaching me in public. I rubbed it off at once, naturally. Chris frowned. He had not crayoned the Omega symbol
0: on the Alfa Romeo, but it was possible the chiller's agents might have done so after taking the wet clothes from his car. Okay, go on. So you saw the Omega symbol on my car, then what? Mouton shrugged.
1: It was not difficult to find out your names from the guest list, but to be safe, I waited all of yesterday, hoping you would make the first move. When you did not contact me, I called the hotel in Brescia. They said you had checked out so I called Mademoiselle Carter at the Lycée. Chris hesitated. Could he trust Mouton? There was no way to back out now, having once revealed himself. Please, monsieur, let us not stand around talking, the servant begged. Even the forest may have ears. Are you prepared to go through with this deal or not? That depends on what you have to offer. Mouton
0: fidgeted nervously.
1: Have you any notion of what Kill is, monsieur? At a guess, it's some sort of long-range chilling device. Ha, <sighs> so you have guessed, quite correct. It works by a microwave action and can suck the heat out of any object, potentially at ranges of several hundred miles. The effect is deadly against planes and ICBM missiles, even spacecraft, once they have entered the Earth's atmosphere. The sudden chill causes structural failure.
0: As happened with balud's plane the other night. Mouton nodded.
1: There was also a miniaturized version designed as an anti personnel weapon. Who developed Skykill? The basic idea was conceived by a genius or perhaps a madman who calls himself Le Clacier. But the actual prototypes were built by a staff of scientists in a secret underground laboratory not far from where we are standing. I'm expecting a lot more than this for fifty thousand, the teen agent said. You shall have it, monsieur. I am prepared to take you to the laboratory itself. Chris took out the bundled bills. Well, there's the first installment. You get the rest when I've seen this
0: laboratory with my own eyes. Muton examined the bills by the glow of his flashlight and then stuffed them in his coat.
1: bien. at this moment no one is here, and you will be able to take as many notes and photos as you like, but we must go quickly or the chance will be lost. Chris's pulse began to race. His tiny buttonhole camera was loaded with film. Okay, first let me call my partner. He started to twirl the stem of his wristwatch. Mouton grabbed his arm. No, monsieur. If that is a radio, do not use it. Why not? There is an omni-frequency monitor near here. Your signal would touch off an instant alarm. Chris frowned suspiciously and then shrugged. Okay, let's go. Only a few steps, Monsieur.
0: Mouton guarded the teen agent toward the huge, sawed-off stump of an ancient oak tree about
1: two feet high. We must stand on this stump, the servant explained. Puzzled, Chris complied. Mouton stepped up on the stump
0: beside him, then took a small device out of his pocket and pressed a button on it. With a faint hum, the entire oak stump began to sink down beneath
1: the forest floor. It was the camouflaged elevator that made the humming sound earlier. This is a secret entrance for staff scientists so they will not attract attention by their comings and goings, said Mouton. The
0: elevator descended into a dimly lit, metal-walled tunnel. As they stepped off, the stump rose back into place. Straight ahead, monsieur. The tunnel opened into a cement floor chamber. Chris's eyes robed around taking in a powerful motor generator a huge air conditioning unit a control panel suddenly the lights went out Chris tensed alertly in the pitch darkness his ears picked up faint noises the scuffing of feet across the cement he reached out, groping blindly but his fingers met only empty air cautiously, Chris took out his flashlight and switched it on Mouton was gone As a weird, maniacal laughter echoed through the chamber, there was a sudden flapping of wings. Chris pointed his flashlight toward the sound. A horde of ferocious-looking bats was zooming straight toward him.